us in this place today. We lift up your name, Lord. There is no one like you. Jesus, we thank you for what you've done for us. We thank you for what you achieved at Calvary, Lord. Lord, we thank you that you laid down your life. You purchased us a gift of great sacrifice, a gift of eternal worth, that you laid your life down for us. And today we thank you. Why don't you just take some time to say thank you? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. We worship you. Amen. Well, you may be seated. Like Dave said, it's Mother's Day today. So a massive happy Mother's Day to all you mums. And hopefully all of you girls have received gifts through your, um, through your letterboxes. It's hysterical. My phone has never been so busy because I put my telephone number on it as a point of contact. I don't know how many times Darren called me from Amazon. I'm just trying to work out where you are. I'm like, hmm... I'm not quite sure, sorry, but hopefully you received all your gifts. If you didn't, perhaps it's because we've got an old address for you. So if that's the case, please let us know. But if you haven't had a gift, then we've got some spares that we would love to give you um, at the end of the service if you haven't already received them on your way back in. So it's Mother's Day and I just want to celebrate you all and I was just thinking today about the message just to deliver and this morning I really want to talk with us all and just encourage us around our relationships because God's given us relationships and they're so so important aren't they? And I've just been thinking, um, well, it's one of these things I've learned in life, but I think I've, I'm learning it quite slowly. And one of the things I've discovered, and I'm not sure about you, you've probably discovered this, but if not, this could be an eye-opener for you as well, is that whatever we have requires upkeep and maintenance. How many of you would you say enjoy upkeeping things, caring things for things and maintaining them? No, you're probably in the same position as me. I like, I just don't enjoy maintenance. I don't enjoy tending after things. I don't enjoy upkeeping them. But here's the thing, because in my mind, if I need something or if I'm going to buy something, I have to make a plan. Can I afford it now? Yes or no? If not, okay, I need to start saving for it. And once I've got the money, get really excited then and go out to make this purchase. And this purchase could be a really large ticket item, like, you know, buying your car, your first car, or maybe it's, you know, buying a house or something like that or an apartment or a flat and sometimes those items are a lot smaller like plants for the garden needing a new fence maybe it's buying some accessories for your home and in my mind I don't know if it's the same with you but in my mind once I bought those things I'm like I've moved on like in my mind, I've saved hard, I've worked hard, I've bought it, they're in my life, I'm excited about them because they're either going to help me or they're going to make things easier for me. But in my mind, I've moved on and I'm now thinking about other things. But actually, 
I've slowly, and it is slow, I've come to realize actually purchasing the item is not the end of the journey, it's just the beginning of the journey with that thing. Because if I'm going to keep anything long term, it's going to require my effort, my energy, and my commitment to care for it and maintain it. Once you've got a house, you just don't move in there and that's the end of the story. I wish it was. The thing needs dusting. It needs hoovering. It needs care and attention. I hate doing those things. No, I've spent the money buying the house. I don't want to be doing those things now. You know, like, I've not. We've been in our new house for, like, four and a half years. It's only this last month I've actually bought stuff to go on the walls. Because literally, ornaments, anything, I'm just like, do you know what? I don't want to buy anything to put in the house because I don't want to have to dust it. I don't want to have to look at after it. So four and a half years down the line this month, I've actually bought some photos. There's now photos or pictures. Should I say it's not photos? Pictures on the walls. There's a vase. and But because it's only a few weeks in, I haven't dusted it yet. But I will need to dust them. But do you know what? I, those things, like, they need to happen. Plants, they need watering. That's why Dave and I have killed so many plants. We buy them, really liking how they brighten your lives, but we're just rubbish at keeping care of them. We've now gone to Ikea and bought a load of six-pound artificial plants, right? No joke. And they are in the back garden. And it's just safer that way because that we don't have to do anything with them. They're not, you know, they, they look pretty. and not helping maybe the environment with carbon dioxide and that. But that's what we've done. Artificial plants, because that keep and maintenance, not good at. Garden fences, they need like staining, don't they, every now and again? Otherwise, they just decay. Cars, oh, they need maintaining. Andy has been maintaining our car for a while, and a number of years. And let's just say he's seen the inside of our car. So not only has he been maintaining the engines, but when our car finally kaputted itself last year, we were like, listen, and we're not car people. And he was just like, yeah, I've seen inside your car. <laughs> I'm just not, can I just say, though, I, I'm preaching this, but because I'm preaching this, I actually put my preaching into action yesterday. So Dave and I were on the, um, the driveway. I was going to say the veranda. We call it the veranda. It isn't. We sit on our driveway because the sun is at the front of the house and not at the back. What the neighbors must think, I don't know, because we're like, we, we're the only family that sits on the driveway and in the sun. So we were sat on the driveway because it was a nice day. Dave got out the deck chairs at half past seven. So Dave was sunning himself at half past seven. I joined in after I ate my toast at about quarter to eight. So we're sat on the driveway sunning ourselves in jumpers and that because it was a bit cold at that time. But it's sunny, so we're making the most of it. And anyway, I was just thinking about my message and knew what I was going to say. And I watched this neighbor over the road. And he's like sweeping and he's doing stuff and he's chopping down branches. And I'm like, oh, right. Well, I'm just quite happy, like relaxing and stuff like that. So actually, can I just say I did get the Hoover out yesterday and I did Hoover the car. So I, I, I'm practicing. 
practicing what I preach here today. Just want to say I'm practicing, but I don't like doing stuff. For me, I've bought something. I want to move on. I want to go out for the day. I want to read a book. I want to sunbathe. I just don't want to upkeep and maintain things. And that's the reality. If you have something, you've got to look after it if it's going to go the distance. Simple analogy, hey? But I think this analogy actually can pull forward when it comes to people as well. God created us not to be on our own. He created us to have relationships with one another. And those relationships are there to build up, to encourage, to strengthen us, cause our lives to be bright. But the thing is, sometimes because people are around us all the time, often it's easy to maybe underappreciate the people that God's placed in our lives, we can get focused on other things. Maybe we're studying, maybe it's work, maybe we've got dreams and goals and ambitions and we kind of, you know, we're, we're focusing on all of those things that sometimes it can be the case that it can be that we overlook what we've got in our lives and the people that we've got in our lives. But here's the thing about relationships. For them to be strong and for them to be healthy and for them to be the blessing that God has designed them to be in our lives, they also need our time, our energy, and our commitment. Here's the big thing, though, the difference between things and people. This is it. If my bank balance is big enough, I can pay somebody to mow the lawn, to fix the sink, to paint the fence, to do the cleaning. It is possible for other people to get involved in the upkeep and maintenance of things. But when it comes to our relationships, no one else can upkeep them for us. We can't pay somebody to make a husband and wife have a good marriage. You can't pay somebody to sort to have for you and your kids to have a good relationship. No, different from things, we can't palm it on to somebody else because we've got the means to. Our relationships require us. It requires us in our entirety. So if, we, if they're going to be strong and healthy and they're going to go the distance. So this morning, I want us to take some time to look at our relationships. Like I said, husbands, wives, children, our relationships with our parents, our extended family and with our friends. And just for us to consider how can we tend to them well in order to see them flourish and the thing I'm going to say today is really wrapped up in one statement, and it's a simple statement. Yet I know that it can have a significant impact on the relationships that we have. So if you go away with anything from what I say today, let this statement be the thing that you meditate on. Because in meditating in it and just thinking about how this practically outworks in lots of different situations, I believe it's got the power to have great significance and impact in our lives. And the statement is simple. The statement is, live generously.
Live generously. When I say live generously, what are the things that come to your mind? What are the first things that come to your mind? For me, my first thoughts when I was thinking of this whole idea of living generously was about giving to somebody more um, that, that has less than myself or less fortunate than myself or maybe helping somebody that's going through a tough time. And the dictionary describes generosity like this. It, the dictionary says it is the readiness or the liberality in giving. It's the quality of being kind and generous. It's also the quality or fact of being plentiful or large. This word generosity, whilst initially my mind goes straight to giving towards somebody less fortunate myself, is way beyond that. Living generously is not just about that, although that's a really important outflow of our lives and we see that the Bible encourages us to be very generous in the way that we give towards others. But what about not the material stuff? What about being generous, not in the act, but in who I am? I think the Bible really exhorts us to think about our lives and how we're using them. And God's encouragement to us is to live generously towards others. When it comes to generosity, we have no better role model than God himself. We only have to look at creation. Wayne mentioned it this morning. We only have to look at creation to see how generous our God is. You look at the stars in space. They're innumerable. He's just not like, oh yeah, 10 will do. It's like, no, let's do loads. Let's make this big. You know, you look at creation, you look at landscapes, they're diverse, there's mountains, there's valleys, there's deserts, there's oceans. God's like mind is just incredible and he wanted to pack earth with just an incredible, incredible deluge of his generous, his generous nature. You think about his handiwork in his creation. Think about how many fish there are. Swimming in the sea. Think about all the insects. Why an ant? I mean, surely you don't really see it often. Wouldn't, if it was me, I'd focus on the big things like the giraffes and the elephants and the dogs and the big things I can see. But God's so generous that he thinks about the tiny things that maybe go unnoticed most of the time. His creation is just packed with his creative, generous heart. And then you look at mankind. No two of us are the same. That is a generous nature that God made it, not that we'd all be carbon copies of one another, but his generosity extended to say, nah, let's make it different. Let's make each one unique. Let's make their features different, their personalities different. Let's make them so different. That is generous. That is generosity. And when we look at God's attitude towards us, he goes way beyond what we could ever imagine or think, doesn't he? John 3.16 sums it up really. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. 
God so loved us that he gave. And he didn't just give anything. He sent his son. He gave his best for you and I. God, because he loved, he gave. That is generosity. Titus 3, 4 says this. When God, our Savior, revealed his kindness and love, he saved us, not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He washed our sins, giving us a new birth and a new life through the Holy Spirit. He generously poured out the Spirit upon us through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Because of his grace, he made us right in his sight and gave us confidence that we will inherit eternal life. God is so, so generous towards us. He's given us his generous love. He's given us his generous acceptance and forgiveness. And he's given us, each one of us, he's given us a future. He's given us a future. Every moment that we are alive is a gift from our creator. So God role models generosity. There is nobody like God when it comes to that. And here's the thing. We are created in his image. So his DNA is in us. So if God is generous, guess what? He's created us when to be generous too. And when we accept him as Lord and Savior, we become his sons and daughters and his nature becomes our nature. So this whole idea of generous living is exactly what God would want for us to exhibit as his followers and as his disciples. This is what the Bible says. The Bible says that we are to replicate God towards others. John 13, 34 says it like this. So now I am giving you a new commandment. Love each other. Just as I have loved you, you should love each other. God displays his generosity towards us. And because we are made in his image, because we are his children, he says, don't just be receivers of this love. Be doers of this generosity now towards others. This is directed towards people. Towards people. Be generous towards people. So as we begin to explore generosity... It does reach out your relationships. So I just want us to consider a few things. The first thing I want us to consider with regards to generosity is the foundation of generosity comes from a heart of thankfulness. The Bible exhorts us to give thanks at all times. 1 Thessalonians 5.18 says this, In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. You know, daily, when we take time to thank God for what he's done for us, when we take time to thank God for what he's given us, when we thank God for who he is, and when we think and thank God for all that he's accomplished in our lives, for his goodness, his faithfulness, and his unending love, when we 
Thank God in all of these ways. Thankfulness can change our perspective in a positive way. I don't know whether it's possible to be generous if we haven't got thankful hearts. Thankfulness really is one of the foundations of generosity because thankfulness reminds us daily about what's happened in our lives, about the fact we've been called from darkness into his light. The fact then, like God Jesus said, that this is something we've received, but now our lives shine. What God has done through us so we receive his love, but now our lives shine out that love towards others. Our lives, we become the representation of Jesus here on earth. We are his ambassadors. We are his representatives. And our thankfulness for what God has done in our lives enables us to be generous because we think, no, we've received so much. We've got so much to be thankful for. So it reminds us and it fine-tunes our perspective to help us understand how we are to live. So thankfulness underpins generosity. Let's do what the Bible says. Let's be thankful every day because it's going to help us in our walk. The other thing I want to say about generosity is it has no ulterior motive. When we're generous with our lives, we're not looking for anything else in return. We don't approach it as, well, I'll be generous to you and you could be generous to me. No, generosity isn't about what we get from this. Generosity is all about what we choose to give to others, even if we don't get anything back. So generosity doesn't have an ulterior motive. Generosity doesn't give up when we think, well, surely somebody will recognize me now for what I've done, or surely I, I should get something back. No, generosity just gives without an ulterior motive. Thirdly, I want to say generosity is not selfish. Generosity actually shifts our focus off ourselves and onto somebody else. When we're pre-consumed with ourselves, we're not thinking about being generous to others. So generosity actually shifts the focus on us. And it begins to look at ways that we can be a blessing to other people. How we can brighten somebody's day. How we can be an impact to them. But fourthly, I want to say, generosity has a profound positive impact on our lives. Surely you'd think that if we are freely giving of ourselves, not expecting anything in return, freely as we're giving to other people, you'd think perhaps we would become depleted in some way. But that's not the case. This is what a recent study has shown about the impact of generosity in our lives. The study says kindness and generosity are linked to happiness. In fact, research from the University of Zurich suggests that those who are habitually generous have long-term well-being and happiness. Those who are generous also show physical health benefits. In 2013, studies published in the American Journal of Public Health suggest that kind and generous people live longer, 
are, are protected from the negative impacts of stress, are more optimistic, have lower blood pressure, and, oh gosh, I, I set deer in a bit quick then, I nearly coughed and choked myself. <coughs> and are more, oh gosh, I really choked myself. How do you choke yourself from inhaling quickly? And what I was going to say is that they say that kind and generous individuals are more successful in their relationships. This is what studies have shown. And this completely matches up with the scriptures that have been around for thousands of years where the scripture actually shows a direct link between us being generous and us being blessed. Proverbs 11.24 says this, One person gives freely yet gains even more. Not depleted, gains even more. Yet another with, withholds unduly, and that comes to poverty. So generous people give, and they actually gain more, and withholding actually tends to poverty. I love how the message translation translates this scripture. It says, the world of the generous gets larger and larger. How amazing is that? Yet the world of the stingy gets smaller and smaller. And if we go on to read Proverbs eleven twenty-five, the next verse, it says, the generous will prosper. Those who refresh others will indeed themselves be refreshed. Scripture shows us that generosity and positive blessings actually go hand in hand. And it's interesting because another dictionary meaning of generosity is this. It's the freedom from meanness or small, as being small of mind or character. I love that. Generosity is freedom from that. Freedom from small thinking. Freedom from stinginess. Generosity is not like that. It's big. It's large. I don't think you can say the word generosity grumpy. You can't because it doesn't represent anything to do with grumpiness, does it? You say generosity. If you think of generosity, it brings a smile to your face. And that's what God wants us to be like in our relationships. He wants us to live generously. He doesn't want us withholding. He doesn't want us to have a spirit of meanness or withhold parts of ourselves from others. He says, no, live generously. And in living generously, we actually reap the benefits of being generous. Not only do other people, but we do as well. So how can we flesh this out? in our day-to-day -day relationships. What does this generosity look like? Honestly, the list is exhaustive. There's so many things that I can say. I'm just gonna pick six things today, and maybe when you go home, just begin to think on these things and begin to think on other ways that living generously practically outworks in our relationships. So the first thing I wanna say is be generous with our encouragement. Let's build each other up with our words. 
We only have to look around us to see that lots of demolition takes place through the negative use of our words that may be propelled or fueled through bitterness or criticism. You know, sometimes there's gossip and complaints and backbiting. And all that is, is like swinging a ball into a, a building and just watching things begin to crumble. There's loads of that going around. You only have to look at the media. There's not a lot of positive things that the media has to say. Everything's about trying to pull people down. But that's not what our calling is as children of God. 1 Thessalonians 5 says this, so encourage each other and build each other up. That's what the Bible says. It doesn't say to tear down. No, our calling is to build up. So when we live up close and personal with people, it's easy to notice flaws, isn't it? None of us are perfect. However, our flaws does not give us license to begin to tear people down. Because the word doesn't say that. It doesn't say spot their flaws and point it out. It says, no, build each other up. We're not perfect. We've all got flaws. We know that. Our calling is to build one another up. Our calling is not to focus. The thing is, when you begin to fixate and focus on other people's flaws, it will come to a point where you may be able to hold it for a while, but if you keep on fixating on the flaws of others, it will come out through your words. So don't fixate on flaws on other people. Choose to look for the good in everyone. Because yeah, there may be flaws, and maybe sometimes those flaws are a bit more than what the good is. You know, sometimes we all go through tough times. But our role is not for us to fixate on flaws. Our role is to fixate on good things and build up. That's what we do. We build up. Look for the good. Praise the good. Strengthen. Encourage. Build up. This is what Proverbs 16 says. Kind words are like honey. Sweet to the soul and healthy for the body. Those we love and those we come into contact with, we want to speak kind words to them because it's going to build them up. It's going to be lovely. It's, you know, nobody shuns a kind word. You know, we love to hear kind words, don't we? Speak words that are filled with hope. Speak words that actually are speaking about the person that we are becoming. God's word always does that for our lives. He always speaks to who we're becoming, what his plans are for us. You only have to look in Matthew when Jesus speaks to Peter. He says, now I say to you that you are Peter, which means rock. And upon this rock, I will build my church and, the, and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. Jesus knew Peter was going to deny him three times. 
But Jesus chose not to say, actually, Peter, you're going to be a big disappointment to me. You're going to mess things up and I'm going to be really sad. No, Jesus chose to speak to Peter's future and said, no, upon you, Peter, I'm going to build my church. And that's what we've got to do. We've got to speak to the people that we are becoming. Speak to somebody as though they are becoming what God says that they are becoming. We use our words to point them towards their future. Use words that are going to be filled with hope. I don't know about you, but I want people, when they think about me, I want them to think, do you know what? Faye was such an encourager. I don't want people to think about me as Faye was such a complainer. She never had a good thing to say about anybody. That's no legacy. It's not representative of God, is it, if we think like that? No, build one another up. I want my words to affirm people, to exhort, to encourage, and to strengthen them. The other thing I want to say is be generous in our manner. What do I mean that by that? I mean be generous in our affection and in our inflection, in the way that we say things. You know, life can sometimes be busy. Lots of plates that we're juggling. And sometimes it's easy to begin to see things in terms of action points that have got to be ticked off a list. But nobody wants to be a part of a conversation where somebody's a bit distant, a bit cold, a bit transactional, a bit like straight to the point. No, our words and our tone make a difference. Ephesians 4.32 says this, instead be kind to each other and tender hearted. We need to think about not only the words that we're speaking, but the way that we're speaking them. Prime example, me and Dave, when we, um, when we had Sienna, we had three babies. Well, they weren't babies because Daniel was nearly three. But we had three children under the age of three. And we had Sienna and Summer, no, Sienna and Eden born 10 months apart. So things were really busy, like super duper busy. I've got a brand new newborn and I've got a daughter who hasn't yet learned to crawl and I've got a toddler. Trying to get from the upstairs to the downstairs with three of them in that kind of way was difficult. Life was busy, lots of juggling around. And because of the busyness of things, it was just like, get me this. I need this. I need another nappy. Oh gosh, I need to change the clothes. I've just, you know, I've missed the nappy and it's gone everywhere. You know, and we began to just point, like shout out things to each other. Like, I need this. Get me this. Help this. And we sat down one day and said, you know what? In the busyness of life, we've become so transactional here. We're so focused on all these ticks of what we've got to do, do this, do that. We've actually lost some of the warmth in the way that we speak. It's like, hey, babe, could you do this for me, please? The hey, babe, and the please kind of disappeared. But actually, those things are big things. And we sat down and we were like, do you know what? I know things are busy, but we don't want... Our, our conversations with each other to become transactional, where it's just a list of things to do. And we had to make a decision. And we're like, no, it's going to take five seconds more, but we are going to speak with warmth towards one another. Because the thing is, sometimes we start out on things, but they soon become habitual. So maybe when the pace of life had calmed down, would we have brought back in that warmth? I don't know. Maybe we would have just got used to speaking to one another quite clipped and do this, do that, da-da-da-da. 
So just think about your words. Think about the inflection. Think about the warmth in which you speak because it makes a difference. We're, you know, we're people. We, we, we throw, God's created us to give and receive love. And it's not nice being in a conversation that's quite cold and clipped. And it can make a difference. So live generously in our manner. The third thing I want to say is live generously in our attentiveness. When it concerns people in our relationships, it's really important to remember that we're not just a number. We're not just a number. Each person we meet is made in the image of God, planned by God before the foundation of the earth. God loves each person he's created so, so much. And when we're with people, we need to remember they're not just a number. This person has ideas and thoughts and wants to make a valued contribution to the world in which they live. So we need to value each other. We're in a unique and individual. We need to value each other's thoughts and opinions by listening to them. James 1.9 says this, we must all be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. Let's be generous in our attentiveness. Listening is not passive. It's an active thing. It goes beyond just hearing words. But listening means to actually hear something with thoughtful attention and give consideration. And that should be our motivation when we're with people is, I really want to value you and listen to what you have to say. If there's genuine interest shown, a desire to understand, we need to be fully present in the moment to listen. You know, practical ways, how do you listen? Well, you listen through body language, okay? Eye contact is really helpful. When somebody's speaking to you, give them eye contact. Listen to them. Um, you know, sometimes it's a mm-hmm. And then maybe you go on to ask questions, if it's appropriate, that will invite somebody to elaborate what they've just said. You know, it's a proven fact that people who excel in work and in their marriages and in their friendships are the ones that have honed their ability to be able to listen. So therefore, let's be generous with our attentiveness towards others. Because Jesus, you know, we have open access to heaven and God listens to us. Well, I'm in no um, doubt that God listens to me. And he wants us to listen to other people as well because he values them. The fourth thing I want to say is, <laughs> shall I say it? Shall I not? I will. Be patient. Um, be generous with our patience. It's one of these words that I don't always like. But I'm going to bring it up because it is tough, isn't it? Be generous with our patience. It's not something that always comes naturally. But according to the Bible, it's really important. 1 Thessalonians 5 says, be patient with everyone. <laughs> everyone. 
<laughs> okay? We've got to be patient with everyone. And Colossians 3 says this, Since God chose you to be holy people he loves, you must clothe yourselves with tender-hearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Patience is commonly defined as the capacity to be able to accept, delay, trouble, suffering without getting angry or upset. It's actually a determination of the will. To be patient is the determination of the will, not simply, simply something that just happens. So why is patience so important in our relationships? Well, patience helps us steer clear of strife, division, and arguments. Have you ever thought of it like that? When we're patient, we will avoid all those contentious issues. Because this is what it says in Romans. May God who gives this patience and encouragement help you live in complete harmony with each other as is fitting for followers of Christ. So Jesus is saying that actually as followers of Christ, this is, this is the benchmark. But the reason why he asks us to be patient, well, actually it says he gives us patience because he knows we haven't got any on our own strength. He has to give us his patience, fruit of the spirit. We all know that. He gives us patience. Why? So we can live in harmony with others. We avoid so much strife and contention and arguments when we are patient. I think though there's a key to patience, which is found a few verses before in Romans 15. And I want to read this to you. And it says this in verse 1. We who are strong must be considerate of those who are sensitive about things like this. We must not just please ourselves. We should help others do what is right and build them up in the Lord. For even Christ didn't live to please himself. I think this scripture outlines some important things, which then are the precursor to patience that we read about a few verses later. There is a direct link between um, not living to please ourselves and patience. Think about it. When we strip it all back, why do we lose our patience? We lose our patience often because things aren't going our way. People aren't on the same page as us. They're not doing things quick enough for our liking. They're not making the decisions we want them to make for their lives. So we get exasperated. We get frustrated. We lose our patience with them. But when we choose to not live to please ourselves, which is what this verse says, because Jesus didn't live to please himself, when we live not to please ourselves, I th there's the direct link. You don't live to please yourself, which makes it easier to be patient. Jesus role modeled it perfectly. On his time on earth, the scripture says, he didn't go around satisfying his own wants and desires. No, he lived according to what God wanted him to do. He came as a servant and when we feel like veering away and saying, well, I can't do it. I can't be patient. 
then like just rein our necks back in. And here's a good scripture to help us rein our necks back in. 2 Peter 3. The Lord isn't really being slow about his promises, some people think. No, he is being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone to repent. Because of God's patience, that's why we're here today. If it wasn't for his patience, we'd be annihilated, wouldn't we? Because, I mean, we're annoying, aren't we? We don't do anything that God asks us to do, really. We're just like, we're sinners. We just do things our own way, mess up. And so it's his patience that was why we're here today. So when we don't want to be patient, we just need to remind ourselves and say, no, Jesus, I'm where I am today because you are patient with me. And therefore, I will... Be patient with others and thank you, you promised to give me this patience. So I'm going to act on the patience that you promised to give me. The next thing I want to say is be generous with our love. When God saw our sin, he didn't pull back. But in the most generous and selfless act, he gave of himself. He gave his own son on our behalf. This is the agape love of God for us. The agape love of God is unconditional, selfless, undeserved, gracious, and sacrificial. And this is the kind of love that God wants us to display to others, like we read in John 13. As I have loved you, you should love one another. He loved us with an unconditional, selfless, sacrificial, gracious kind of love. And he invites and he expects us to live that life of love towards others. Paul helps kind of give us a hook for us to hang our hats on concerning what this love looks like practically. And we're aware of it in Corinthians 13. Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It doesn't demand its own way. It's not irritable. It keeps no record of being wronged. It doesn't rejoice in injustice, but rejoices when the truth wins out. It never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful, and endures through every circumstance. This is the kind of love that we get to show other people. And this, Dave preached on it last year, this whole subject of love is massive. I can't cover these things like in the moments that I've got. This is an, an thing that we've got to work out. But what I want to say concerning love, everything that the Bible says we have to put into practice. And one thing I want us to think about to help us to show people our love is that this, we... Um, we need to think about the fact of how we show our love. Would you agree we're not all wired the same way? We're not, are we? We have different ideas about things. We have different likes, different dislikes. We like different food. We have different tastes in dress. We like different hobbies. We're not all the same. So if we're not all the same, we need to think about how we then Give and demonstrate our love to another person. Because often our default is to show somebody that we love them based on the way that we want to be loved. 
But if somebody's not wired the same way as me, I could be putting a whole lot of effort into trying to demonstrate my love for them, but it may not be hitting the mark as well as it could have because, yeah, they're grateful for things, but they're not wired that way. We all are different people with different personalities and there are different ways in which we demonstrate our love. Gary Chapman in a book wrote about five love languages and he talked about the fact that some people love words of affirmation. They love people to say, I love you. They love people to say something verbally encouraging. For other people, it's not really about what people say, but it's about spending time with that person. They want quality time. They want you in the room with them. They want quality time. For others, they are really, um, get dem- they really, their love language is all about acts of service, which is like actions speak louder than words. So like making somebody a cup of tea or unstacking the dishwasher without being asked really makes somebody think, wow, that was really kind and loving of them. For others, it's gifts. Not necessarily expensive gifts, but just little signs and tokens of appreciation. And for others, it's touch, it's physical touch, it's holding hands, it's being close. There's different love languages for people. And we all, you know, all of us will appreciate them. But I think it's important for us to try and understand the person that we are trying to show and demonstrate love to. What is their love language? For Dave and I, it's, thankfully, it's quite easy because we have, we have the same kind of love languages. I just want to spend time with Dave. Honestly, I'm not interested in a card for my birthday. It means dilly squat to me. I'm not sentimental like that. So for some people, receiving a card means so much because it's a word of affirmation. It isn't for me. For me, time. Give Give me your time. That means so much to me. So I can be showered with gifts. I can be showered. Well, I was going to say I can be showered with cleaning the kitchen. Now, I do appreciate if he cleans the kitchen. He's very good at doing that. But I can be showered with kind words and texts. And whilst I'll appreciate it, nothing hits home as much as Dave making sure he's got time for me. And we need to understand what each other's love languages are. Because we can spend a lot of time trying to show love... And yet, it, it, it may not just be hitting the mark as much as possible. So I encourage you to think about that because often our default is to show love the way that we want to receive it. But that's selfish, isn't it? <laughs> that's not taking a lot of time to think about that person. And we're to think about that person. So just want to throw that out. Maybe it will help because agape love is all about intentionally desiring another person's highest good. Colossians 3 says this in the Amplified. Beyond all these things, put on and wrap yourself in unselfish love, which is the perfect bond of unity for everything is bound together in agreement when each one seeks the best for others. Unselfish love can really, being generous with it makes the difference. And finally, I want to say, be generous with our compassion, understanding, and forgiveness. It's a really important aspect of generosity, isn't it? Compassion and understanding. Earlier on in the verses in Colossians and Ephesians, we read that, about the word tender-hearted 
We're to be tender-hearted. Tender-hearted means compassionate and understanding. We need to throw people lifelines. We all mess up. We all make mistakes. And we need to become the compassionate ones that say, hey, messed up, but I'm throwing you a lifeline here. We also need to be generous with our forgiveness. Holding a grudge, keeping score of wrongs. It's not what Paul says is the language of love in Corinthians 13. It's not the visible sign of love. No, forgiveness is the visible sign of love. People have messed up, but I'm going to forgive you. And I just love how David says in Psalm 130, if you, Lord, kept a record of sins, Lord, who could stand? But with you, there is forgiveness so that we can, with reverence, serve you. Forgiveness points to a future. Unforgiveness causes people to be at a stalemate where they can't go forward and can't build anything. God always builds bridges as for us to go over. Forgiveness is a bridge to move into a future. Unforgiveness keeps us in the past. How can you move forward if you don't forgive? Forgiveness builds a bridge. And this is what Colossians 3 says. Make allowance for each other's faults. And forgive anyone who offends you. Remember the Lord forgave you. So you must forgive others. So those are just six points to just think around concerning our lives. But I really believe the whole idea of living generously has a significant in our lives if we are to see our relationships flourish and grow. Remembering that God wants our lives to be strong. He says, didn't he, I came to give you life and life in abundance. He wants our relationships to be strong with others. Sometimes we don't give them the attention that they need and we wonder why they're failing. No, our relationships, we're to live generously, allow our lives to be generous in the way that we encourage, in the words that we speak, in the way in which we speak. Be um, generous with our attentiveness towards others, with our patience, with our love, with our compassion, our understanding, and with our forgiveness. Because really, if you think about it, there are no positive outcomes for withholding. Are there? Being ungenerous, being mean, being stingy, being selfish, being tight with our lives isn't going to be the soil from which we grow wonderful crops. No, generosity, being large, being bountiful, being giving, being thinking of others, being selfless. Though that is the soil from which great things can grow, strong things can grow. And then we gain such fulfillment from having relationships around us which are strong and healthy. It's Mother's Day today. I think mums really display generosity so much, don't they? They're so selfless, you know, so selfless. So let's think about this whole thing of generous living towards one another and see how God uses it to not only impact and bless others, but also we begin to see the benefits for our lives.
Amen. Amen. Well, let me pray before... Before we go, and before we worship team, worship team, you can come up now. You know, maybe you're here today, and um, you're listening, and you're like, "Gosh, I never thought about living generously before." And I just want to say, generous living isn't easy to do in your own strength. Like I said, the Bible talks about empowering us to do that. And as I said at the beginning of this message, God is a generous God, and He gave us Jesus. And really the foundation for generous living is finding Jesus for yourself and accepting his sacrifice for you. Jesus loved you and I so much that he left the splendor of heaven, he came to earth, and he died on the cross to forgive us of our sins. So this morning you may be in this place, you may be watching online, and you're like, do you know what? I didn't know. God did that. I didn't even know that God was that interested in me. If I'm honest, I thought God was probably a tyrant. I didn't realize that actually he loves me. God loves you. And today, the best gift you can give yourself is by asking Jesus into your life. So if you're here today, why don't you pray this simple prayer with me? Say, Jesus, thank you for loving me. Thank you for being so generous with your love and your forgiveness, I ask you to come into my life today to become my Lord and Savior. I want to live the life that you've promised, a life that's generous, a life that makes an impact in others. So please come into my life today. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, if you prayed that prayer, it's the best decision in your life. But you may be here today, and you've asked Jesus into your life. But you kind of realize that maybe there's a whole different level of living that you haven't quite walked into. I've been really meditating on this whole thing of generous living for a number of months. And it's really, it, it's, it makes me think about things. About, am I really generous in lots of different aspects? Am I generous in my relationships? Maybe today you're like, oh, do you know what? Lord, I don't know whether I've been generous in all aspects. Well, the exciting thing is that God gives us his word to encourage and instruct and guide us and help us. So, Lord, today we may be here and feeling that your word has kind of been a refreshing, a refreshing voice to help show us how we can build and strengthen the lives of the people that are around us. Lord, thank you that we're on this planet for such a time as this. Lord, we love you. And we ask, Father, that our lives would represent who you are, that you would help show us how we can become more generous in all aspects of our lives, to impact others, and to diffuse that beautiful fragrance of your son, Jesus, through our lives. Thank you, Lord for your words to encourage us and to strengthen us and to give us direction. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.